Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. We are in Romans chapter 11, continuing through, and actually I'd like to take us to part two of the message that we began in the last episode, but we're not able to complete just for the sake of time. So I split that into a couple of different episodes here. And to get us into that again, I would like to just do a brief review that leads us up to where we left off. First of all, let me read those scriptures again to you. And it's Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 22 through 28. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And that's where we're going to stop for today. And so I want to pick up from where we left off in the last episode. And we were talking about this partial blindness. We were looking back at the examples from the Gospels that showed us the fig tree, how Jesus cursed that fig tree, and why. We also saw that this will have an end because we read in the scriptures And we see that Jesus talks about the day that will come when they will call upon him and be saved. And so I want us to just jump right back in and pick back up where we left off so that we can understand what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 11. So where we left off yesterday, we were talking out of Luke chapter 13, and we were understanding how Jesus had come seeking fruit. He had given them the three years and now there was no fruit. And so if there weren't fruit, you know, within a short period of time after this and he dies and so forth, then this judgment would come. And it was their diaspora that actually did happen when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD and and spread them all over the world. And it's just been within the last 75 years or so when Israel became a nation again. And so praise be to God for that. And the Jews are coming back to their homeland. 
in Aliyah. So God has fulfilled his promise, but he also is helping us understand more of what he was saying there, as well as the fact that this partial blindness has an ending time. And so that's where we're going to pick up and begin from today. So he proves his point in Luke chapter 13 in the very next section where he talks about this woman that has been bound for 18 years. And so as Jesus would have it, he loves to stir things up because he's trying to help them understand what the true meaning and intent was behind God's word and for them not to mislead or misuse it. So he's trying to correct that in them. So this woman who had been bound for 18 years, he looses her. He sets her free on the Sabbath day, which is the day of rest. He gives her rest from this affliction, which is more important to God than some legalized rule that says you can't do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus points out their hypocrisy because he says, if, you're, if your horse, your animal needs water, you're going to loose it from its stall and you're going to walk over and, and bring it and lead it to water and let it get something to drink and then take it back to its stall. He says, you're going to loose it to, to give it what it needs, but you jump on me because I'm loosing this woman on the Sabbath day and giving her true rest from this affliction. And so Jesus is trying again to prove to them that doing good is more important to God than some legalistic rule and that he was seeking fruit and he found none. Now, I want us to lastly look before we move forward again in more of Romans chapter 11. I want us to lastly consider this on this point, and that is this. In Matthew chapter 23, I want to read verses 37 through 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This takes us back and helps us understand what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 11. Yes, blindness has come in part, but there's going to be an end to that blindness. There's coming a time, and Jesus prophetically speaks of it here. He says, yes, I wanted to draw you. I wanted to gather you together to me. I wanted to, to love on you. I wanted to take care of you. I wanted to have relationship with you. But you were not willing. You came under this blindness of your own choosing. You hardened your heart against me. You rejected me. 
And therefore you brought upon yourself this blindness. So you're not going to see me. You're not going to understand as a whole, as a whole nation, until a coming day. And on that day, you will say to me, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Paul is speaking about that because he says that this blindness in part has happened to Israel until. That little word until tells us a lot because the little word until tells us that there is a change. It's a transition word that this is your current situation. This is your current status, but it's not permanent. There's another day coming. There's a change coming. There's a transition coming. And Paul says that that transition, that change is going to happen when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Now remember here in this passage, he's talking about how the Gentiles being the wild olive tree branches are graft are grafted in. All of those who will believe among the Gentiles are being grafted in to this olive tree with and among the believing Jews. And so there's coming a day, Paul makes very clear here, that there is coming a day when this fullness of the Gentiles will come in, will happen, will occur, and the last believing Gentile will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first, I just want to point out something in the scriptures you may read in other places about the times of the Gentiles. That's something different. That is not the same thing as the fullness of the Gentiles. And that's more in, in reference to some passages from Daniel and Revelation, etc. And that's covered in more of our Revelation studies, etc., but this fullness of the Gentiles means the Gentiles who are getting saved, the Gentiles who are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word, it's interesting, means to cram, like to cram a net. And it's very interesting because several of the disciples that Jesus chose were fishermen. And Jesus told them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Do you see, God has cast a net to, to draw in all who will believe in him so that he can save them, so that he can rescue them, so that he can take them to be with him. And so there is a fullness of that number coming. We don't know what it is. It's not our place to know what it is. It's not our job to know what it is. God and God alone knows that because he's the one that sees the end from the beginning. Like that person we've talked about in the past with maybe a blimp over a parade. He sees, he knows exactly when, you know, the last fire engine that has Santa Claus on it is coming and the end of that parade happens. We don't know that. You know, the spectator down on, you know, five streets up can't see that. They don't know that. They don't know how long the parade is. But the person in the blimp above the parade can see that. And so in a sense, I'm just using that as an illustration. 
to help us understand. God's the one that sees the end from the beginning. He knows when the fullness of the Gentiles is actually coming in. But until then, he's saving all the Jews that will be grafted in again, all of those that will come to faith in Yeshua, and he's saving all of the Gentiles that will come in. And there's coming a day that we don't know when that is. Our job is to preach the gospel and make disciples. Our job is to tell the good news. Our job is to be those that Romans 10 talks about, of being those that will be sent with the good news, that we will herald it to others, and that through that word, the Holy Spirit will birth that faith and arise that faith inside of their heart, and they will then call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and believe in Him. So our job is to tell the message all the way up till the Lord takes us to be with Him. We don't know when that fullness of the Gentiles comes in, but there's coming a day when it will. It's going to be that full number. The net will be full at that time with those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, that will be the time when God begins to deal again with Israel so that he can bring Israel to salvation. Paul says here that this blindness has happened to them in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so, meaning afterward, after that, then all Israel will be saved as it is written. All Israel at that time, all those that will believe in him at that time, all those remaining that would constitute the remnant of the nation of Israel will then believe in Yeshua the Messiah and be saved. And it will fulfill Old Testament scriptures. Paul quotes some of that here. There are others. There are many Old Testament scriptures. I'm just going to refer you to a few here. Hosea chapter 2, even Hosea chapter 5 verse 15. Psalms has several. The prophets have several. Even in Deuteronomy, in Moses' writings, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, in Psalm 14, 7, in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, and verse 20, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14 through 18, and also that will be the time, remember Jesus' words that we just read in Matthew chapter 23, that you'll see me no more until you say to me, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in that day, Zechariah also prophesied and said, they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as for an only son. They are going to call upon him. They're going to believe in him. In that day, the Jewish people have a beautiful future awaiting them, but it requires that they believe in Jesus Christ. And today, many Jews are coming to faith in the Lord. In that day, it will be much harder between now and then. There are many things the scriptures tell us about those coming days, 
and some are going to be very difficult, especially for the Jewish people. But God is going to save and rescue his people, Israel, just like he's promised. He speaks in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, about the new covenant he has promised them. And in that new covenant, he will wash away their iniquities. He will forgive their sins and wash their sins away. And that new covenant is in place now. It came in Yeshua, the Messiah. Jesus lifted the third cup at the Passover Seder that he held with his disciples on the night of his betrayal, the night before he was crucified. He held the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he said these words, this is the cup of the new covenant, of the blood of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the one that has drunk that cup on our behalf. He is the one who has shed his blood to save. And in doing that, God cut the new covenant with all of mankind at the cross. And the author of Hebrews verifies that for us in Hebrews chapter 8. The new covenant is now available. It is in place and it is alive and well. And the Jewish people now can come to faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Paul concludes this section we're talking about today in verse 28 by just simply saying this, that at the current time, the Jewish people consider are considered enemies toward the gospel not from our standpoint, but they have made themselves that because they've rejected the Lord. This is true from the first century on. In the days of the first century in the early church, there were the scribes and the Pharisees and all of that. There was all that ruckus. You see it all through the book of Acts when they were persecuting the church and they persecuted and threw in prison Peter and and John and Paul and Silas and Barnabas and so many that were persecuted and went through that. The Jews were opposed to them because they were preaching the gospel. And they told them, we forbid you to preach again in this name. But they kept doing it anyway because they were obeying God rather than men. And then since then, there's been animosity because of some evil things that have been done to the Jewish people in the name of Christ wrongly. That was false. That was not our Jesus. That's not the Jesus that I know. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus who loves the Jewish people and said to preach the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. The Lord wants them home. The Lord wants the Jewish people to come to him. So right now, they have an animosity toward the gospel. Many do, not all. But they are still considered beloved of God because of the covenant God made to Abraham and the patriarchs. He says here it's because of the fathers. 
That's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's because of the covenant that God made with them. You can read about that covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and particularly in Genesis chapter 15. But I want to close with this verse. Why is it important that Paul brings this up about them being election, beloved of God for the sake of the fathers? And the reason is very simply because God keeps covenant. When he makes a covenant, he keeps it. I want to close with this passage, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God makes it very clear here that it's not Israel's own doing. It's not by works. It's because he's a covenant-keeping God. He will not abandon them for the sake of the fathers. He made a promise to Abraham, confirmed it to Isaac, confirmed it to Jacob. And it's an everlasting covenant that will not change. And therefore, God makes very clear that he keeps covenant and mercy with those that he has chosen, those that are following him, those who love him and are obeying him. He is a faithful God, and he will keep his covenant. He is the ultimate and true eternal promise keeper. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.